Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now On this week's show, we have Rusty Wilson joining us, and he's going to talk about gluten-free brewing and brewing with alternative grains. It is a pretty fun show, and I also made a beer for this show because Rusty actually sent me a homebrewing kit, and I made my first ever gluten-free beer. So we're going to dig into all that this week on Homebrewing DIY. recipes and taking good notes are two of the key fundamentals of making great beer. This is one of the first things that you learn when becoming a new brewer. I started taking notes on a sheet from my extract kit and then quickly moved to brewing software. I've tried many different types of brewing software and then I found Brewfather. This is the one piece of software that you need for recipes and very detailed brew day notes, as well as fermentation notes. Brewfather also integrates with some of the topics that we discuss on the show, like the till hydrometer, the ice spindle, and ferment track. You need no other piece of software than Brewfather. One of the best parts of Brewfather is that you can try it for free. All you need to do is head to our website, homebrewingdiy.beer, and click on the Brewfather banner to sign up for free today. Once again, that's homebrewingdiy.beer, and sign up for Brewfather today. Keeping a clean brewery is the key to making great beer that doesn't get contaminated. Do you use a glass or plastic carboy for your fermentation? Did you know that getting your carboy clean can be tough, especially removing the crucin ring? Even with traditional carboy cleaning tools, it can take a lot of time and not get your carboy completely clean. Well, today there's a new tool that can easily clean your carboy and do it fast, and that tool is called a scrubber ducky. Scrubber duckies are a new magnetic carboy cleaner that are easy to use and get the cleaning results required in brewing. Drop a magnetic scrubber into your carboy and be able to scrub away all of the grime in that hard to clean cruisin'. They are no match for scrubber duckies and you can get yours today at scrubberduckies.com. Once again, head over to scrubberduckies.com. Have you ever wanted to make a podcast? Do you have a subject you want to discuss with listeners? Do you even know where to start? 
Well, if you want to make a podcast and you want to get started now, I could not recommend Anchor enough. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor gives you everything you need in one place for free, which you can use right from your phone or computer. Creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. They'll distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. And you can easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Hey, look, I shopped around for a place to post my podcast and Anchor was the easiest, most streamlined experience you could ask for. So if you're looking for a place for your new podcast, Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Once again, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And welcome back to Homebrewing DIY, the podcast that takes on the do-it-yourself aspect of homebrewing gadgets, contraptions, and parts. This show covers it all. On this week's show, we're talking to Rusty Wilson. He's a avid gluten-free homebrewer, and he even has a small Etsy store where he sells gluten-free homebrewing extract kits. Rusty sent me one of his kits, and I made a beer out of it a few weeks ago, the first extract batch I've made in a very long time. And we're going to taste that beer today, as well as talk about alternative grains and brewing gluten-free. So stick with us. For that interview, it's going to be a good time. But first, I'd like to thank all of our patrons over at Patreon. It's because of you that this show can come to you week after week. I want to let everyone know that I have actually reached my goal where I have bought a new digital audio interface. I also purchased some software that's going to allow me to do some cool, much-needed tricks when it comes to uh, my sound and audio, and it's just going to overall improve the show. All of these upgrades that I've made were 100% supported by you, the listeners. So I want to thank everyone who has supported me all along the way. If you want to support us over at Patreon, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash homebrewing DIY. Your support is going to keep this show coming to you week after week and help it improve. If monthly is a, a little too stiff for you, you can always head over to coffee.com that's ko-fi.com forward slash homebrewing diy and you can give a one-time support and that's always a great way to support the show another way to support the show is by writing us a review you can use apple Podcasts if you're listening to us on apple Podcasts. just scroll down to the bottom and write us a review or head over to podchaser.com that helps others find the show and of course, the last way to support the show is head over to our website, homebrewingdiy.beer, and use our sponsor links. We have great sponsors like uh, Brew in a Bag at brewinabag.com, Brewfather, and Adventures in Homebrewing. If you click on those sponsor links and banners, they know that we sent you. Your prices stay completely the same, and they give us a little bit of love for support and help support the show. I have a couple of quick updates of what's going on in the homebrewing DIY world. First update is we were doing monthly brewers roundtables, and just because I, I I did a lot of marketing and, and pushing to try to get high attendance to the brewers roundtable, but in the end, I just didn't have a lot of interest or or attendance to those brewers roundtables. So right now, I'm going to put those on hold. I tried it for three months to see if it was going to be something that was going to um, have a lot of feedback and and people that wanted to go. 
And apparently it was something that wasn't really interesting to my community at this point. We may bring it back later, but at this point, I'm going to put the Brewers Roundtable on hold for the time being. I do have one kind of episode in the backlog from last month. I have released it out to my patrons where we talked to Brian Rabe over at Low Oxygen Brewing. And I will release that show at some point this month in, over the next few weeks and uh, make it an episode that we're going to do here on the on a Thursday episode. It, it's a, it was a great conversation. And one of the cool parts of that conversation is he goes through his entire brewery with us, which is probably the coolest home brewery setup I've ever seen. It's literally a miniature version of a German brewery in your home. It, it's quite amazing. So I will post that in the next few weeks, but uh, keep an eye out for that show. So when you, when you see it, it'll be a good one. Other news that's going on in my brewing world, we've got an upcoming show where we're going to talk about BrewBlocks, which is an automated brewery controller system made by Elko, who's the maker of the BrewPy software. This is actually the modern iteration of the BrewPy software moved over to the Spark version 3, and it's actually become a full-scale brewery controller. The reason we're going to talk about it, though, is that Aaron Bandler, my neighbor across the street, has finally built one from scratch. Uh, he has been working on this project for months, and he's going to brew his first batch on it on Sunday. It's a pretty cool setup. I'm, I'm quite impressed with the hardware and the way that it looks, and he's got he's built himself quite the little brew in a bag electric system. I'm a little bit jealous, but we'll, we're going to have Aaron on the show, talk about his build. We're going to go through his brewery and uh, find out what he learned and what he would advice he would give to any of you. If you're looking at building an electric brewery using brew blocks. So that's going to be a very, very cool episode coming up as well. We also next week have escarpment labs, they're going to be on the show where we're going to do a, a deep dive on a bunch of different strains of Kvike. I'm really excited about that show as well. We had Richard, the founder, on the show, and he just knows a wealth of knowledge when it comes to yeast. So uh, some really great shows coming up here on the next few weeks on Homebrewing DIY. We're kind of back from the beginner series that I've been doing for a while, and we're going to be doing more of what we normally do when it comes to just having interviews and learning more about homebrewing and different types of DIY projects that are out there. So that being said, uh, let's jump into this week's show where we're going to talk about gluten-free homebrewing with Rusty Wilson. I'd like to welcome Rusty Wilson of Moonvine Brewing. He is a he has this small company that is doing really cool kits for the gluten-free brewer. Uh, Rusty, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm glad that we're able to finally get together and uh, and record together. Yeah, we, we had quite the uh, the getting it together. I I just uh, if you if you're listening to the show and if you listen to last week's show, I talked about it a bit. But the I was supposed to have this interview last week with Rusty, and I had problems with I, I brewed one of his kits as part of this show, and then the kit wasn't quite ready because apparently I I take a long time to brew beer. I don't. I just it took me a while to get it through the through my 
through my process. And then once we did, I, I reached out to him and he was like, oh, perfect. I'm actually recovering from COVID. So uh, you are feeling better, right? Yeah, I'm feeling much better. Uh, before we started recording, uh, I was telling Coulter that I uh, just moved from uh, just moved from Utah to Texas. And so uh, I actually took my Etsy store down in anticipation of the move. And then, of course, you know, I get into the one of the hotspots and immediately get exposed to COVID and, and get sick with it. So um, so I was sick for about five weeks there and haven't still haven't uh, started brewing anything new, still haven't been able to get the uh, Etsy store up and running again, but just uh, taking some time to relax and rest and hope that my cough will eventually go away completely one of these days. Well, I, all I have to say is I am, I am glad you're feeling well. And uh, you know, uh, I, 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 for those of you in a Republican state that think that it doesn't exist, here we go. You're talking to somebody who's recovered. Yeah. You don't, (laughs) you don't want this virus, (laughs) wear a mask, stay home. It is not worth it. Yeah, exactly. You, you, uh, I'm glad that I'm talking to you and you look nice and healthy. So uh, it's really (laughs) awesome. So I, 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 but uh, it did inspire my show last week where uh, we had that conversation and we did a show on how uh, COVID is actually affected brewing. And I would say the overwhelming feedback I got was that other than people who have been infected with COVID, the people who are locked up have been brewing more, which is, I think, great for home brewing in general. Uh, I could tell you that for me, uh, I have more beer than I have keg space right now. And the one thing that sucks is, and this was also a recurring theme is that I don't have as many people to share my beer with. So it's uh, right now I I am going to work out a process now where I'm just going to start dropping growlers at my buddy's houses and they'll be happy. Awesome. Some (laughs) contact free craft brew. Sounds good. Exactly. (laughs) I've definitely done some of those. We've, we've done some contact free beer tastings, but now I, I think I need to get through, uh, I now have five gallons of gluten-free beer. I need to get through it. So, but, uh, we're going to, we're going to taste that later. Uh, what we're going to talk about today and what I wanted Rusty on the show for, and I'm so glad that Rusty reached out to me to be on the show was to talk about gluten-free brewing because this is something that I've read about a lot. I do know a lot about it as far as studied, but I've never truly made a gluten-free beer. I've made a couple of gluten-reduced beers and they've turned out great, Uh, but I've never gone a full alternative grain gluten-free beer. And this is my first time doing one. I, I have zero gluten issues and maybe that's something we should talk about now is, 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 kind of some of the issues that uh, maybe you personally have and why you gluten-free beer, why are you into gluten-free beer and what kind of issues do you have with gluten? Yeah. So uh, when I was 25, I got diagnosed with celiac disease, which is like the granddaddy of gluten intolerance. Uh, So if I, if I consume even a tiny amount of gluten, I'll be sick for, you know, a few days most likely and can do permanent damage to my body. So um, when it comes to gluten-free brewing versus gluten-removed, I've got gluten-removed or gluten-reduced. I go with fully 100% gluten-free ingredients, and I do that for two reasons. Um, The first is the Enzyme Clarity Firm. Uh, Clarity Firm, am I getting that right? Yep, that is correct. Okay, Clarity Firm. Um, I don't think that they really market it as a way to make gluten-free beer, which is good. Um, 
the uh, the enzyme, from what I understand, and I I admit that I barely know what I'm talking about here. So so uh, please, you know, everybody at home, do your own research. Don't just take my word for it. But my understanding is that Clarity Firm denatures uh, gluten. It doesn't actually remove it or necessarily reduce it. But it does denature it enough so that it can't show up on a test. So if the product is tested to see how much gluten is still in it, um, a, only a very small amount of gluten is actually traceable uh, after using an enzyme. So some of the concerns are that people with celiac disease or other types of uh, like gluten intolerance may still react to that denatured gluten or that unless unless every single batch is being tested to make sure that it's below 10 parts per million, there's really no guarantee that it was brewed, you know, correctly or that um, that an, a significant amount of gluten was denatured from the beer. Um, and, you know, when Omission beer first came out, I gave it a shot uh, and I thought it tasted great, but it did give me a reaction. So I was pretty sick the next day after just having one beer. Um, and like I said, that was when they first came out. So I haven't given them a shot since then. Uh, just because I, I don't really want to take that risk for my own, you know, for my own personal health. Uh, the other reason that I only use gluten-free ingredients is because uh, I'm an apartment brewer, you know, so I brew in my own home. And even if the final product is gluten-free, it's not uh, it's not considered gluten-free until that very last stage. And I'm just not willing to like mill barley in my own home or deal with a wort that contains a significant amount of gluten because uh, it's very likely that there is going to be some cross-contamination between what I'm brewing and then what I want to eat later. So uh, for those two reasons, that's you know uh, an area that I just want to stay away from completely. Yeah, and also specifically with celiacs, we're talking about this is a, a true allergy right and so um, no actually uh, okay um, i always auto, thought it was a true allergy so that yeah please you know, people it, can educate be, people can be allergic to different grains you know you can be allergic to just wheat or just barley and then i believe that people can also be allergic to gluten where you know you have that typical kind of anaphylactic reaction um for me it's yeah. completely different it's uh, celiac is an autoimmune disorder so if my body detects any gluten it attacks itself and primarily, that happens by attacking the small intestine. Uh, so people people ask me, "Oh, did you uh, did you go gluten free to lose weight?" And my response is, "No, I actually put on fifty pounds because my body can finally <laughs> absorb food." <laughs> You're like, "I feel better and I'm healthier." <laughs> right. <laughs> that's all. That's th thank you for educating me. So. Sure. Uh, Let's talk about some of the alternative grains, uh, specifically on the base malt side, right? Mm -hmm. If I were, and let, I know that the, the kit that I made was an extract kit. So let's start there in, in some mm -hmm. of the cool extracts, because these were extracts like I've never seen before. Uh, let's talk a bit about some of these extracts that y the, the gluten-free brewer would have access to. Yeah, the uh, I would say that the main base malt uh, that you're going to find in extract form is typically going to be white sorghum. Um, and Bryce is the, uh, as far as I know, Bryce is, I think, the only manufacturer. I believe all of the different brands of sorghum uh, are actually produced by Bryce and then uh, rebranded afterward. Uh, white sorghum is something that I have never found as a malted grain. I only find it as an extract syrup. Um, 
And then in the kit that I sent you, I also include uh, brown rice, uh, malted brown rice extract in that. I think I sent you one of the older kits that has liquid brown rice. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, that is correct. Okay. I didn't really like the packaging. Um, I, I was having trouble finding some packaging for that small amount of brown rice extract. So I've switched over to uh, dry brown rice malt extract in, uh, in other kits. But, uh, you know, same difference. Just really one's an LME, one's a DME. Um, if you're going to go with all grain brewing, rice and millet tend to be the ones that, uh, the ones that provide the bulk of your base malts. Uh, personally, I really like gluten-free brewing as partial mash because the way I see it, I can, you know, I can use the six pounds of sorghum extract and, uh, the job is basically done for me, or I can actually go through the trouble of mashing, uh, a ridiculous amount of gluten-free grain, which the issue with gluten-free grain is not just, okay, which grains do not naturally contain gluten. The biggest issue is finding one that has been handled in a way so that it hasn't been exposed to any other gluten-containing grains. Um, oat is a really good example of that, uh, especially you know as a food product. Oat shouldn't contain any wheat gluten on its own. It has its own type of gluten, and some people have issues with oat gluten, but it doesn't have the same kind of gluten that's found in uh, barley, wheat, and rye. Uh, however, it's so often grown near gluten-containing grains and handled in facilities that uh, that deal with so other, so many other grains that the end product ends up being cross-contaminated. Um, and so partial mash, obviously, is so much easier than doing all grain. But uh, with gluten-free brewing, it also tends to be a lot more economical uh, because the amount of money you'll spend on a base malt extract uh, is not, is really not going to compare to the amount of money that you would have to spend for an entire batch of all grain. Okay. And, and some of the grains you were talking about, like specifically like millet and rice, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, the rice is, uh, is it more of a flaked rice? What, what's the, 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 what, what type of rice is it? Cause obviously if you just take rice or boiled rice it hasn't been converted to have sugar right it's just pure starch so right. what, what does that what, what kind of rice are you using when you use rice as a base malt so i get um i i pretty much get all of my grains from glutenfreehomebrewing.com um i don't have any kind of sponsorship or affiliation with them at all uh, I just really love this com this uh, website. They have a fantastic online store. They have a really good database of knowledge and uh, tons of recipes as well. Uh, extract, partial mash, ciders, and all grain brews. Um, but when you buy when you buy a base malt, uh, you're going to get a malted grain. So the rice that I get is a it's whole grain rice that still has the hole intact, and it's been sprouted. And then uh, kiln to you know whatever whatever level you're looking for. And okay, then so it's the, it's the same as like barley essentially and malted, and so you're still going to be able to mash it, produce the enzyme to get the conversion, and yes. then uh, be able to have your sugars when you're left over. Whereas if you were to take white rice or bleached rice and try <laughs> to get that to convert, uh, you're going to end up with a bunch of mush and no sugar, right? Yeah, you're going to uh, have a hard time. You're going to have a uh, you're going to have a pretty bad porridge if you try to go that route. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and um, so gluten-free grains do contain uh, the enzymes needed for the amylase enzymes that are needed for mashing. Uh, 
and that saccharification. The problem is the uh, these grains don't contain as much uh, alpha and beta amylase as barley and wheat and rye do. So you could get in a partial match, you could get away with not adding any enzymes, but I always add some and uh, do a reverse step match because I'm investing in these specialty grains and I want to make sure I'm getting everything I need out of them. Okay. So there, there is a, an, an additive of enzyme to kind of help it work a, a little bit harder and get more sugar out of it when you're in the mashing stage. Definitely. Okay. And, and is it a standard 60 minute mash like you would do with any other type of mash? Yeah, I do a standard, um, I, I, it's normally about 60 minutes. Um, I also do a beta glucans rest because I like, uh, I like adding oat and barley, uh, or sorry, not barley. <laughs> I like adding oat and buckwheat and both of those, okay. I feel like, uh, you know, will give a great amount of headspace, uh, without needing to necessarily carry over all the, all the glucan. Yeah. And what explain to me what a uh, uh, a beta glucan rest is. What, what's the temperature look like? What does what does that step look like? I believe if I remember correctly off the top of my head, I think it's um, 140 degrees for about 30 okay. minutes. And that just kind of lets the the glucan settle out. Uh, to the bottom so that you won't because you know if you've worked with buckwheat before uh buckwheat is really gummy and this helps to prevent that but uh so similar to rye similar to rye when you think of that like gummy kind of uh is it is it that kind or is it even more gummy than that i haven't worked with rye so i'm not sure uh, right. Uh, to me, it's like if, uh, for example, I, I brew in a bag. And so if I yeah. were to be brew, let, let's say, for example, I brewed with a, a sparge method in a, uh, in a cooler or did a, a batch sparge type of uh, all grain batch and didn't, and even with a false bottom, one of the things is that you, you kind of can't go over a certain percentage of rye because it, it'll, it'll just gum up your stuff, right? It'll, mm-hmm. it'll give you a stuck mash, uh, because you, you, even if you put rice holes in there, you're going to struggle once you get over a certain percentage. And in with a bag, you don't have that issue. I've, I've done mm-hmm. actually like 50, 60% rye beers because, you know, you just lift the bag out and squeeze it. It doesn't matter. But what I have noticed is that rye has a certain consistency that is extremely gummy, uh, kind of porridgey, if that makes any sense. Yes. Is it something like that when you It use sounds buckwheat? very similar to the way that you, okay. the, the way that you describe that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so are are you doing that 140 as you're rising up to that like 150 160 or are you doing 140 at a level uh like or are you dropping it back to 140 after the match what 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 part of the the where, where in the phase is that Sure I start with a uh, I start with the beta glucan rest at 140 for 30 minutes and then I go okay. up and start my and start my regular mash uh I've kind of experimented with uh, doing, you know, a traditional uh, mash. I'm not, I can't remember the figures off the top of my head. I want to say 165-ish and then 155, uh, but I may have that, I may have that wrong. That's, uh, that's backwards. Also it's usually 155 and then you mash out at like 165. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then I've experimented with, with uh, doing reverse mashing as well. Uh, I read a few articles uh, by other gluten-free brewers who uh, feel like doing a reverse mash works better for them. Um, and, you know, with me doing mostly uh, partial mash, I haven't really seen a significant difference there. So uh, my 
and you know, and it's been, it's been like maybe four months since I've even done this. So I'm having trouble remembering all of the steps, uh, cause I was preparing for an out state move and then recovering from COVID obviously. Um, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. So, yeah. So I was going to say, uh, so when we talk about the kind of amounts of grains, so like, for mm-hmm. example, let's say I'm building a recipe and I'm, I'm using some of these alternative grains, uh, you know, buckwheat and, and, uh, and millet are the, is the poundage the same? So like, for example, uh, in my brew house, if I wanted to get like a 1060 war, I know I'm going to be anywhere between 11 and 12 pounds of grain. Is it a similar amount of, of grains here for that same types of conversion or do you need more? It depends on the grain. Um, if you see millet, it's so much smaller than uh, rice. And then rice is a little bit smaller than either barley or wheat would be. So, um, because of the grain size, that's going to affect how much starch there is compared to, uh, you know, the, like compared to the, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Kernel size. <laughs> yes, kernel size. Kernel size. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to get less actual starch and then fewer enzymes as well. So when it comes to doing an unhold rice, you'll need to add in a few extra pounds. If the recipe calls for 12 pounds of base malt and I want my base malt to be unhold rice, I'll usually crank it up to 15 or 16 pounds uh, because you are, you will need to add in some extras to get enough starch and sugar. That, that makes total sense. Uh, when, and then as far as uh, the, once you're done doing the mash and the boil process, that's going to be generally the same as just making any beer, Correct. Correct. Yeah, so one of 60 the 60 minute um, boil with hops. Yeah, that's correct. Go ahead. Um and I've started um I I really like whirlpooling my hops. I like the fresh floral fruity flavors of hops. Um I understand, you know, there needs to be a base level of bittering. So, um I might boil like 1 2 or 3 ounces uh while I'm while I'm actually uh boiling my wort and then I'll add the rest afterward and whirlpool it at 140 for about an hour. Uh, but that's just a matter of personal preference. You know, that doesn't come down to whether a beer is gluten-free or not. Yeah. And then as far as, uh, like bottling and packaging, that's not going to be any different either, right? That that's the same process. Yeah. It's not going to be much different. Um, gluten-free brewing generally looks a lot from what I understand. It looks a lot like traditional brewing, except obviously the ingredients you're using are going to be completely different. Uh, there are a few steps, like in the kit that I sent you, I included a little bit of roll flock. Um, I added that in yep. there, not because it really needs to be in there to bring out proteins, but because Irish moss or roll flock will help to decrease the bitter aftertaste. There's a bit of a bitter metallic taste in uh, sorghum malt. And I found that if I, if I use a... Um, if I use an Irish moss based clarifier, it helps to reduce that taste. And, you know, if I were making something out of uh, barley or wheat DME, I, I doubt I'd feel the need to do that. Yeah, that, that makes total sense. And I did use the Warflock, which was weird because it was the first Warflock tablet I've used in a really long time. Because uh, I, I normally am using my, my personal uh, clarifier for beer is gelatin, right? And mm-hmm. I 
and I and I always make sure I tell my my vegetarian friends. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> I, I have a I have a very good friend that's vegetarian, and I, and he came over to my house. We I did a bunch of beer for a fantasy football party, and he comes over to my house, and I, I'm like, hey, by the way, this is not vegetarian beer. And he's like, what? And he and he and I was like, yeah, it's got gelatin. He was like, ah, fine, I'll drink it. But I'm like, I'm just telling you because that you know it is not you know, vegetarian, but the idea is that, uh, uh, and it works really well. Would you get a similar result from, from using gelatin or is Worf flock have a, a, a different way of, uh, settling things out? Um, I haven't brewed with gelatin. I, uh, I used to keep my kitchen kosher. I don't keep kosher anymore and I do not regret, uh, leaving kosher behind at all, but, uh, <laughs> just, you know, personally, because, uh, because I do still have some friends that either keep kosher or have various levels uh, in their own Jewish experience where they, they might just avoid gelatin because it can't have pork in it. Uh, yeah. and then a lot of my friends, because I'm a millennial, a lot of my friends are vegan or vegetarian. <laughs> so, uh, so I like to share my beer. And I try to keep uh, I try to keep it vegan or at least vegetarian if possible. Yeah, that, that I just give them a warning. Gotcha. <laughs> I'm like, hey, hey, if you got a problem with gelatin, I got I got cans of beer in the fridge. You can do that. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but it does make like a crystal clear beer. The the so yeah, the wharf lock goes in, and I the the one thing is is I'm glad I I, I actually made a point to follow the instructions to the T, uh, just because I was like, hey. Because normally I would take, you know, oh, I've done a million extract batches, but this Mm -hmm. was something that was completely different for me um, because of the some of the the alternative grains that were in there. And Mm -hmm. I got to say, the one thing I noticed out of the gate is there is a bit difference in the consistency right it yes it is still like a, a malt extract yes it is still syrupy but even like my boil over was it was less uh i guess what's the word i want to say it was less trying to boil over it was uh, mm. uh I, I feel like at least don't get me wrong maybe it's just i'm better at brewing uh but <laughs> the other, but the other part is is that then when I was doing extracts as a main for- source of brewing, right? Uh, but the idea is that uh, I, I did feel like there, the 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 wort has a, a bit of a different smell, um, and it does have a bit of a different uh, uh, consistency than what I what I was expecting from like a normal extract batch that I've done from from barley. Um, so I, I actually do have the beer here. Let's 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 taste it. Let's let's give it a whirl. So All right. uh, I have tasted this beer already, but I, I'll do it as an official tasting. Now, one thing I've noticed is that this beer, as it's sitting here, um, I have had it on gas for a couple of days. Um, so it is fully carved up and it is it, it the head retention on it does dissipate pretty quickly. Um, is oh, that yeah. normal with these types of yes. beers? Okay. Yes. Um, so, gluten is actually one of the major components to uh, to a big stable head on beer, um, and that's why that's one of the reasons I like partial mash so much uh, for gluten free brewing. I'll add in like a quarter pound of barley, quarter pound of oats, and then I also like to add in a quarter pound of uh, sweet rice or sushi rice and grind that in because that helps to add. And, and uh, in the kit that I sent you, that also includes uh, maltodextrin. Because gluten-free okay. grains, yeah, gluten-free grains do tend to be lower in dextrins. Um, from what I understand, typically people wouldn't add any extra dextrins to an extract uh, kit. But in this case, to, to give the beer some more body, you, I think you need it. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so adding in some extra, uh, some grains that contain more proteins can help greatly with head retention. 
Okay, you you just said barley in your partial mash. That that was wrong, right? Uh, if I said barley, I meant buckwheat. Anytime I say barley in my mash, I usually mean buckwheat. Yeah. So, so as I'm looking here, uh, the color is pretty spot on. This is a West coast style IPA. Uh, so let's be clear of what the style is here. Uh, this kit had, and I'm going to swear here, had a shitload of hops in it. This thing was, uh, uh, and a lot of bittering hops, which I, you know, I've been making a lot of new England IPAs lately. I haven't made a West coast IPA in, in probably about a year. Uh, and Th- it, it was it was actually i was like wow i forgot how many hops you put into a boil right because mm-hmm. normally you know when you do a, 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 a hazy ipa it's all at the end and just doing hop stands and whirlpools um but mm-hmm. uh this was i i think it had about six ounces of hops does that seem about right six ounces that's right yeah and uh what was the what was the hop uh varieties that are in this beer it's mainly cascade uh that's our main bitterant and then it also has yellow falcon and amarillo so first thing I'm getting with it is, uh, it, it, first of all, this beer tastes really good. Uh, the, the hops and the, the malt really complement each other really well. And even though the malt is not barley, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, but and it, it does have a bit of a different aftertaste and it's not bad. Um, it's, it's a little bit sweeter would be the word I would use. It definitely is less bread. And for me, it's a, it could just be my kit that I made too. Uh, cause yeah. There is the variant of I made this beer. Um, the other piece is that uh, I would say that it has. I'm thinking here, it's it's really crisp, like it, it's dry, it's crisp. Uh, this came in at 1060, so it's about 6% alcohol. It's not boozy at all. Uh, but I would say the flavor I'm getting on it is like, like, I I think of like when you get beers that have a lot of uh, adjuncts like rice in them, mm-hmm. I'm kind of getting that same kind of finish. So uh, right. like a cream, like similar to like the finish you would get with a cream ale, but without the corn flavor. I know that okay. that's a weird thing to explain, but uh, that's at least the, f- that, that, that is the finish I'm getting from this beer, but then it's hoppy as hell, like an IPA. So yes. uh, it's really a unique, it, it is a very unique beer, but to be honest, if I handed this beer to you at a party, you'd be like, Oh, this is a really good IPA. I'm just going to drink it. So, uh, Thank, yeah, I'm, thanks I'm, for saying I'm that. And hairs here. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's fine. That was really my goal, uh, with that kit. Uh, I'm not a fan of IPA, but, uh, I know, you know, I know what world we're living in here. And, uh, so when I wanted to start, uh, putting kits together, I, I wanted to focus on an IPA and, uh, my goal was to make one that I liked. And, <laughs> and so I feel like, you know, I feel like I succeeded with that. Uh, however, you know, I'm not in this, uh, I'm not at this point where I can, uh, actually taste my beer side by side with a traditional brew. So, yeah. you know, it might be good to me, but, it, uh, it, it's hard for me to like really compare styles. Um, and then since you mentioned, uh, how there's not much of a bready taste, uh, there are some biscuit malts, uh, some gluten-free biscuit malts that are available. Uh, and I haven't okay. tried using them, but I know that gluten-free homebrewing sells those to add kind of more of that bready or like crackery taste to brews. Yeah. Yeah. And, and but, but to me, and I'll give you an example when I'm making a traditional, uh, the American IPA and trying to get that bready flavor. I'll, m- one of the tricks I use for that is to you is to not just use two rolls, my malt, um, 
I'll, I'll add things like, uh, I'll go with some British malt. Like I'll throw some golden promise in there. Um, I'll throw some, uh, some, some malts like that, that have that little bit more of a bready feel to them to kind of even enhance that a bit. Uh, just because I feel like, uh, and this is, a uh, you know, I don't, I don't know when the last time you had two row was probably uh, a very long time. Uh, but for me, uh, I feel like two row as a malt is very one dimensional. And so I have always tried to mix it up a bit. And I think that one of the things that as we're talking through uh, this gluten-free brewing and trying to make similar styles to what would be grain type beers, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, I think that the mixing and matching of different malts can get you pretty close, right? So like, for example, the maltodextrin in this kit, you do have sorghum as your base, but then you also added the rice in there. Um, And I think Mm -hmm. that the combination of those flavors gets it closer versus if you just went with a straight sorghum, right? Right. And I, I would think that a straight sorghum beer uh wouldn't wouldn't be a great way to go because sorghum does have a very unique flavor it's a great base malt but it's a really unique flavor i think it needs to be amended and uh anytime i've had a plain rice beer it just i don't know it's like drinking a coors light to me it doesn't really have a lot of character yep. flavor or body yep and i mean if uh, i want to do makes that great course, buy makes great coors light <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. if i wanted that it makes kind of great flavor, coors light if I wanted that kind of flavor, I would just go get a six pack of Redbridge. And uh, the whole reason I I got into homebrewing is because I'm sick of paying too much for gross, watery, gluten free beer. You know, I wanted to start. Uh, yeah, I only yeah. had about four years to experience beer before I got my celiac diagnosis, and I thought, oh, this will be something that I can give up really easily. Uh, but then, as I tried a couple of, uh, I, I, I've tried a couple of excellent gluten free beers uh, that are commercially made. Uh, didn't really find much when I was living in Utah, but anytime I visited, uh, anytime I visited Colorado, I was able to find some good gluten-free beers. And so that really gave me the bug to start homebrewing and make my own. Yeah. There's a great gluten. And I can't remember the name of it. There's a great gluten-free brewery over in golden, uh, really small, but yeah. they, 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 yeah, they do a great job. Um, I've had a few of their beers just, you know, like at, at their tap room and they're very, very good. And you wouldn't know that they were gluten-free. Uh, so kind of very, very cool. Uh, let, let's talk about some beer. I want to talk about something. Is there any type of gluten-free beers that you have made or you've had that are unique to gluten-free? And so, and when, what I mean by that is like, you know, you're using these alternative grains and in a way they mm-hmm. could, it's easily become their own style that is different than a, like, you're, you know, you're trying to mimic an IPA. Have you ever mm-hmm. made a beer that is uniquely itself and not really something you would compare to another beer? Well, I, uh, I tried making a tropical stout that I entered into a homebrew competition, uh, while I was living in Utah. And, um, I, <laughs> Well, let's see. I, I might have placed. No, I don't. I don't think I placed. Uh, <laughs> I put it in the alternative grain category. But um, yeah, it just it was just a mess. Uh, <laughs> I tried doing a sorghum <laughs> and rice based partial mash, but uh, I did not get the head strength right. Um, I tr- I made my own coconut extract to flavor it with. And the end product had a lot of oil. So it had zero head retention, which is really bad for a stout. Um, and it was a, it was a good beer. It was very drinkable. My husband and I, you know, drained the whole batch. 
uh, and we really liked it, but it was not a tropical stout. Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know what to call it, but <laughs> it was definitely a unique style on its own. Yeah, and so uh, was that the Beehive Brew Off? The Beehive Brew Off? It may have been. The, yeah, um, uh, the one done, oh, the one done, done by the Beer Nut. Was it done by the Brew Nut? Beer Nut, and they had the I thing don't think at, so. the, uh, at the Bayou. Oh man, no, I, that, that was where right. I won my first gold medal. I won my wow. first gold medal there. <laughs> Congratulations! It was a yeah. Uh, I've I've only made a, I've only had a few gold medals since then. I, I personally I think I'm a I, I think I'm a good podcaster. I think I'm an okay brewer. <laughs> this was the uh, I looked I looked this one up. It was the Utah Brew Fest last year. Oh okay okay mm-hmm. yeah that 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 came after like was coming to become a thing after i've uh i moved out of utah so it's very uh, new random and, and random uh rusty lived in utah and i never knew him in utah so kind of cool yeah uh, Utah's uh, got same a... last name no relation lived in the same state <laughs> yeah. lived in uh lived in the same city at different times never never knew each other <laughs> until i was moving from i was moving from utah back to my home state of texas and uh I was looking through some recommended podcasts to keep my sanity during the drive and uh homebrewing DIY was recommended. So I listened to like seven or eight hours of some older episodes on my way. And then, uh, I saw a post by Coulter in the homebrewing subreddit on Reddit. And I was like, dude, is this you? <laughs> I'm like, I just <laughs> discovered your show. That, that's awesome. And, and yeah. uh, that that it, it's funny how uh, how many people f- how people find this show. It's just it's it's really uh, kind of uh, it, it's it's been a I'm almost a year into this. Next month will be a year, mm-hmm. and it's been quite the unique experience, like uh, uh, being a, a homebrewing podcaster. But I I will say that it is uh, uh, I have personally learned a ton because it, it it's given me some opportunities to interact with some brewers I've never been able and, and things I've been super curious about and never been able to actually you know, know somebody in my circle that does it. And it's been really, really cool. Uh, I want to talk a bit about if I were to want to, uh, learn more, let's say I was diagnosed with celiacs today. Uh, what are, you know, you've, you've thrown a couple resources out here, but let's Mm kind of pull that together. What, what would you say are the best places for me to learn about gluten-free brewing, uh, to, you know, obviously, uh, I will put links to your Etsy store, and so when it comes back to life, uh, people can go to the show notes and, and click on that. Uh, but what are some great resources for getting into it, learning about it and a community around it? Um, so Northern Brewer and uh, Homebrew Supply both have uh, some pages dedicated to gluten-free brewing and they sell a lot of uh, you'll, you'll be able to find uh, white sorghum extract and brown rice extract, um, just about anywhere that, uh, you know, any of our like major homebrewing outlets online, uh, when it comes to homebrewing stores, I find that's kind of hit or miss. Typically I can expect to find gluten-free supplies, but it's not always going to happen. And it's usually going to be in an area where they have uh, grain that they mill in the store. So it's like, you know, you got to make sure you've got sealed products and everything. And you've, uh, uh, anytime I get something at a homebrewing store, I always have to wash the outside of the packaging so I don't get any like barley on my hands that I then transfer into the product or onto something else. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, glutenfreehomebrewing.com uh, is 
far and away the best resource for uh, gluten-free homebrewing. They have an online store, so um, that's where I get uh, all. That's where I get really all of my uh, grains that I use. Um, they also have, to my knowledge, the only gluten-free liquid yeast. Um, typically, gluten-free brewers use uh, dry yeast uh, because uh, liquid yeasts are cultured on a bed of barley. Uh, so the end product, the end product may or may not contain gluten. But uh, gluten-free homebrewing sells uh, a line of gluten-free liquid yeast that are cultivated in sorghum extract, uh, so that they're guaranteed to be gluten-free. Uh, at, you know, at, at the end product is guaranteed to be gluten-free, and then they've also got what, a lot what's of. The, resor- what's the brand on those? I'm just curious. On what's the one? brand on those? Like, who's the yeast lab that's making those? I'm just curious. Hmm. I don't know. Let me look it up real quick. I should be able to find that pretty easily. I, I'm only I I'm only curious because I, I talked to uh, I my, my my I had a podcast interview earlier today that will be next week's uh-huh. episode and uh, it was with a yeast lab so I'm just now oh curious. awesome <laughs> cool okay let me see here it's by Propagate Labs oh yeah Propagate so they're actually I believe based out of Colorado right fantastic uh yeah, yeah i'm not sure but that makes sense color i mean colorado it's objectively the coolest state so most <laughs> likely that's where it's sourced out of uh they i just checked their website they don't have any available right now they'll start selling that again in the fall um, okay anyway but they also have a blog uh they've got recipes tutorials um and what i really liked about it was uh a lot of gluten-free and and, and the reason that i started uh moonvine brewing was because a lot of these resources for gluten-free brewing kind of assume that you already know how to homebrew. Uh, I had no idea what I was doing when I got into this, and I just knew, you know, I needed to make it gluten-free. So uh, one of the things that I really like about glutenfreehomebrewing.com is that they do have those tutorials for beginners. So they really help you understand extract, partial mash, all grain, all of that. And then as far as uh, uh, your your kits that you you sell mm-hmm. uh where, where can those be found it is, okay so it's uh etsy.com slash moonvine brewing so it's moonvine okay. brewing all spelled out okay and, and what kind of kits do you sell on there you, like for example i have this ipa that you sent me uh mm-hmm. are there you know do you have different types of beer different styles what what, what would i find on there there are a couple of other styles i'm working on i want to work on a partial mash bock kit uh, and then I also want to work on a juicy IPA. Uh, I'm a big fan of Steven Universe, and so I'm working on an IPA that I call Garnet. Uh, there's this character. You can, of course, cut all of this out. <laughs> there's this character in this cartoon called Steven Universe, and she's a fusion of a character named Ruby and a character named Sapphire. And so I have an IPA that I, uh, I add grapefruit and blackberry to. Um, that I call Garnet IPA, and it has this beautiful color when it's done. It really has this gorgeous, like, deep red. Uh, anyway, so those are the ones that are in development. The one that I sent you is the only flavor that I'm offering uh, on the shop right now. Okay. And, and then that as one's far Yellow as... Falcon IPA. Yeah, and it, and it is uh, it is definitely, like, a, a yellow color. It's not super dark or anything like that. Uh, would be 
equivalent of a West Coast IPA towards the, I, I call it the late stage West Coast IPA back when mm-hmm. West Coast IPAs abandoned crystal malts. There's, there's like a, you know, I look at it. Here's the way I look at the the progression of the American IPA is that in the 90s and early 2000s, they were crystal bombs, right? Uh, the, the idea was that everybody was trying to basically mimic that, that West Coast, like, Chico style IPA, uh, the Sierra Nevada style, right? Lots of crystal, mm-hmm. uh, lots of sea uh, hops, right? And then in the in the late aughts and the early teens in the two thousands, before Hazy came out, I think they had dumped crystal malt mm-hmm. altogether and really went for more of the floral and fruity hops. And I yeah. think I call that the late stage West Coast IPA. And then now we're, everything's hazy. Like that's uh, right. Uh, but <laughs> now it, it's, it, I, I actually had a West Coast IPA earlier today and it was the first one I've had in a really long time. That wasn't this one. It was actually just like I had a can of West Coast IPA and it was, it, it's just so I'm like, wow, this beer is actually bitter. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then therefore, I, I feel like when I came of age, when, when I turned 21 and started, uh, you know, sampling a bunch of different craft brews to find my styles, um, I felt like every IPA was just like licking a lawnmower blade. And, and it was it was completely beyond me how it was such a popular style. Uh, this is in like 2012. Yeah, that, that was when everything had to be 100 IBUs and you want to put, you know. Uh, half a pound of hops and bittering and things were yeah the word i would use is there was definitely uh if you got a a poorly made bitter bomb they could be very grassy yeah Mm. that definitely could be an issue yeah uh i I, you know i i also feel like i uh going back to that we both uh were from utah for, for a time i feel like utah has and this is kind of a a a funny thing they're really good at making session beers right because of they mm-hmm. they had that 4% rule for so long yeah. and you could actually get a really great session IPA there that would be really well balanced light in body and now th- there's tons of beers out there that are, that are making that like for example all day IPA and these uh, you know session beers i think are have a spot but it's funny uh they were making them there for years and they were doing a damn good job with them it's just but that was because the law forced it and uh, mm. it's it's kind of one of those unique things that i i felt like i i would get like a session ipa from out of state and i'd be like hey man this tastes just like a beer from utah <laughs> yeah yeah and uh texas so. and colorado definitely both have their weird blue laws they've got some we there are some crazy state laws surrounding alcohol in uh both those states but nothing like utah yeah Col- like, colorado's uh changed a lot of that now uh i you beers now in liquor stores uh, out of liquor stores you can get it in a grocery store now mm-hmm. uh so they they've they've lightened up a lot of that stuff though colorado they and i don't know uh, don't quote me on this if you're listening to the show because it might have changed and I don't know. But there was a, a a long time a law that you could only have one liquor store, right? So uh, you yes. couldn't own like a big chain of liquor stores in Colorado, which is which is just a weird law to me in general. And so like you you know. W- it does have diversity, but then there's not a total wine on every corner. And I think that's what they didn't want. Uh, but it's kind of funny that, uh, the laws are a little unique here, but nowhere near what Utah's liquor laws are like. They're just awful. Oh, right. (laughs) And you know, when I, when I tell people about, uh, Utah liquor laws, I'm just like, imagine if alcohol 
were entirely controlled by the state. Because that's literally the process. You have to go to a state-owned liquor store where they're not allowed to have refrigeration or I think even AC, just judging from the way it feels in those stores. Um, And then, and like uh, my husband was born and raised in Morgan, Utah. So for him living in Texas and like being able to see that there's refrigerated beer and chilled wines in liquor stores in independently owned liquor stores, it's just totally mind blowing. Mind blowing, mind blowing. And, and yeah. even then when you're buying it, there's a cop at the end of the thing looking at you going, what are you doing? <laughs> are you, are you buying yes. alcohol? Like cop, like, uh, you, Utah's a, a very unique place it sure <laughs> when is. it comes to alcohol. It's a very uh, beautiful place, but it's a very unique and interesting place. <laughs> I will say that if you're into whiskey though, um, because of the way that they have to do it through the state, uh, you can get the whiskeys that are, you know, people are selling on secondary markets for hundreds of dollars. Mm-hmm. You can get them for like 50 bucks in Utah. It's really weird. <laughs> yeah. Utah so. has some great distillers too. Yeah. The high West out of there is great. Yeah, high um, West is fantastic. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a fan of them. Uh, and you know, it, it's kind of, and, and even their local distillers are really good. I, I have a, a good friend of mine and, uh, actually friend of the show. Uh, he actually owns the salt flats distillery, and uh, owns the uh, Salt Flats Brewery as well. Uh, it just kind of funny that, uh, you know, ran, I, it's funny how I still keep in contact with those guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll wrap this up. And, uh, I, hey, Rusty, I want to thank you for coming on Homebrewing DIY. I'm super excited to talk, to share with everyone uh, some of the art of, 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 why am I stuttering here? The art of gluten-free brewing. And, uh, uh, if you, if you ever have anything new coming out or something you want to share, please, uh, uh, reach out to me. I'd love to have you back on the show. I definitely will. I really appreciate the invitation. I'm glad that we were able to work out a a good time for both of us as well. It was great to be on the show. Awesome. Thanks. thank rusty for taking the time to be on this week's show we had a great conversation reminisced about the time that we both used to live in utah and really enjoyed a nice gluten-free beer you can find us on all social media channels you can find us on twitter instagram and facebook just look for us at homebrewing diy all one word well that's it for this week we'll talk to you next week on homebrewing diy